preaching the gospel, equipping the church, and expanding the kingdom of God around the world. You're listening to the Tim Brandon Ministries Podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome once again. We're excited to have you join us today. You know, in our last episode, I just spoke very plainly about a topic that God had placed in our hearts for over the past six years in regards to His response to unprecedented times. Now, that word unprecedented, it was commonly referenced in our messages over these past six years and in many meetings across the nation and around the world. And now today, it's commonplace. It's common vocabulary for just about everyone. You hear it everywhere you turn, that these are unprecedented times in which we live. Now, one thing that the Lord made clear to me is that unprecedented times call for unprecedented revival. And so that's our subject in today's episode. This is from a meeting in 2016, as the U.S. was also preparing for the upcoming presidential election. And I think that what you hear in this will stir your heart for what is on the horizon, as it honestly sounds as if it could have been spoken just last week. So I want you to take a listen, and I'll be back at the conclusion of this message to talk with you some more. There's a lot of things going on in the world right now that have a lot of people in an uproar. We're living in unprecedented times. We're seeing things that we've never seen before happen in the world around us. And, and we've, we face, we're faced with situations, things that we would have never dreamed would have happened, especially in the United States of America, things that we would have never thought that we would see. We would have never thought that we would be debating over whether or not it was okay for a man to go to a woman's restroom, right? But we would have never thought we would have, I mean, that's not a battle we ever thought we needed to fight because we never thought that was anything that was, that's not debatable. Or that a man could be named woman of the year. That we would be faced with widespread global terrorism. I mean, really, I grew, up in the, I grew up in the 80s, and our big thing was the Cold War. Russia was always what we were thinking about. We were thinking about nuclear war and all those types of things. Never would we have ever thought that we would be faced with the things that we're dealing with right now, and even on American soil, that we would be concerned that there could actually be people among us that would want to kill us at any moment. Never thought we would be dealing with those kind of things. We never dreamed that we would be faced with, in the United States with, where biblical crea- Christianity would be challenged and would be seemingly be, be so criticized by the culture around us that it is the least tolerated viewpoint in society. Never would we have thought we would be dealing with those kinds of things. That our government would be interjecting their thoughts and redefining what marriage is supposed to look like. These are things that we could go on and on tonight about all of the different things that have gone on in our world and the culture around us that have reshaped the America that we always knew. And these are things that are unprecedented. Never have we seen those types of things happen. Never would we have thought that those things would ever come to pass. And as I think about that, it reminds me, I want you to open your Bibles to Joel chapter 1, verse 2, because it sounds a whole lot like what Joel had to say. He says, hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land, has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? I want you to think about this. What would your grandparents have thought about the things that we're dealing with? No one in American history would have ever dreamed that we would be facing the things that this modern culture is facing. You could go back, you go back to our forefathers, they would have never thought that these things would have ever been debated. But as I spoke to you back in January when I was here, I want to remind you once again 
that we are to be those who magnify the Lord. Our focus should not be these things. In fact, that's the enemy's tactic, is to get you to focus on these things, to get you stirred up about these things. Because if he can get you to focus on these things, he can distract you from the thing that's most important. Because if you lose your focus on the one who matters, and you're focused on all of these issues, then you're not in your proper place being the person that you're supposed to be. We have a choice. Which things are we going to magnify? Are we going to magnify the problems that we're facing or are we going to magnify God? We have that choice every day. And every time you turn on the news, every time you read a newspaper or you get on the internet and you see these things, you have a choice to make. Am I going to give these things my attention? Because they're wanting you to focus in. They're wanting you to magnify these things and make them bigger than what they are. Because what we magnify is what will dominate our lives. But what we distance ourselves from becomes smaller and smaller and less significant. And when we consume, our lives are consumed with sin and wickedness, we've allowed the enemy to grab our attention and he begins to set the agenda for our lives. He doesn't deserve that right. So we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. I, I, I mean, especially when, you, you know, pastor can tell you this, when you're in a pulpit... It, it, it's, a, it's a fine line because you want to address all of these things. And it's easy to let that dominate, but we have a responsibility to magnify the Lord. He's, he has a name that is above every other name. And it doesn't matter what the world tries to throw at us. He is greater than all of those things. So David told us in Psalm 34, 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. His praise shall continually be on my lips. I don't care what you may say to me, what you may do to me, what kind of things you may parade around in front of me. I'm going to continue to praise his name. I'm going to continue to glorify him and magnify him because he's bigger than this thing that you're trying to throw at me. But for the past two years, it's funny. I, I mean, the word unprecedented has continually been on my mind. I can't get rid of it. But it's not because of the things that are happening that we're hearing about in the news. The thing that keeps stirring in me is that, that God's got something unprecedented that he's about to do. The thing is, the answer to unprecedented problems is an unprecedented move of God. That's what we're needing right now in America. We're not, we're not focusing on the problems, but focusing on the fact that God wants to move in a way that we've never seen him move before. We need an invasion of the kingdom of God upon the earth in a way that we've never seen before. We need Jesus right now in America. We need Jesus in our families, in our jobs, in our schools. We need Jesus more than ever because he is our hope. He is the hope. It's not who's going to go into the White House in no, you know, through the election in November. It doesn't matter. It's about who is the king of kings. We need to keep our focus where it needs to be. Don't worry about all of that. We could see a revival in the near future that would eclipse anything that's ever happened before in history. And that should be our pursuit. That should be our expectation. That is, the enemy cranks up things that God's got something better that he's cranking up and he's ready to release upon the earth. Many revivals over the ages, they've been birthed out of desperation. 
when people get desperate enough, when they come to a place where they see God as their only hope, that's when they really begin to cry out to Him. That's when they really press in. It was desperation that brought Jairus to Jesus and said, would you please come to my house? My, 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 my daughter is dying. It was desperation on that same day that took a woman with an issue of blood. She'd been bleeding for 12 years and she pressed through a crowd and she said, if I can just reach out and touch the hem of his garment, I know that I'll be made well. And it was a lack of desperation, a lack of desperation that resulted in a huge crowd that was all pressing in against Jesus that he felt all of these people pressing against him, but we only read of two people that received anything from him that day. Plenty of people that were hanging around, but only two that we read of that received anything from him. Why? Because there was a lack of desperation. I, I want to say something to you because I know it can be discouraging sometimes. I want to speak to something very, and very plainly. Look, we've seen huge crowds in this church. We've seen small crowds in this church. But don't ever let the size of the crowd dictate what you think God wants to do. Just because you can pack out a church doesn't mean that God's at work in the midst of you. I'll be honest with you. Because there was a crowd that day pressing in against Jesus. And when the woman that was bleeding reached out and touched him, Jesus said, who touched me? And they said, everybody's touching you. Uh, he said, oh, but I felt power go out of me. There was one that got a hold of him. There was one that saw him as the answer that she had been looking for. But all of these other people, they were hanging around, but there's not one thing said about any of them receiving anything from Jesus. And so I don't care if you walk in here sometimes and it's just you and pastor. Go after God. He said, where two, are, two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be there in the midst. Not in the name of obligation, not in the name of church or routine, but in the name of Jesus. When you come, when two people can get together and he is their one pursuit, he's promised he'll be there. Listen, it only takes, it only takes a couple of folks to start a revival. You go back and ask Evan Roberts what happened with him in Wales. It only took a few. It only took a few that said, that said I, this is what I need. This is what I want. I'm willing to shut out everything else. I'm, bend me, Lord. Bend me, Lord. That was his prayer. Desperation. Desperate times drive people to desperate actions. You know, and the thing is, 9-11, we could have had revival. We could have. But the time of desperation passed. But see, the thing is, desperation doesn't have to be birthed from desperate times. It doesn't. You don't have to wait till something bad happens to begin to cry out to God. You don't have to wait till everything is blowing up in your face to be passionate about Him. To want to touch him, to want to encounter him. You don't have to wait till desperate times come. You can be desperate for him every day of your life. It can be a lifestyle. A lifestyle of desperation. I must have him. I must know him. More than I knew him yesterday. More than I encountered him yesterday. I must know him more today. 
That is the lifestyle that we can live. We don't have to wait. I believe that if we were living in in desperation, we wouldn't face so many desperate times. Because in desperation, we cry out to Him. In desperation, we, we draw near to Him. And as we draw near to Him, He draws near to us. And so if desperate times come, I have confidence because I know He's with me. And I can have that attitude that he told us to have. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. Because I've overcome the world. That I can face, desper- I can face these desperate times and I can have confidence because I know he's with me. I don't wait till the times become desperate and then I cry out and hope that he'll answer. Hope that he'll come to my rescue. But I can have confidence. I can be of good cheer. Then I can laugh in the face of the enemy when he tries to bring things up because I know the one that's with me. I was reading about a revival, just, in fact, just reading about it some today that really lays this out. I mean, I, I, I've read about so many revivals and studied so many of them, but I'd never heard the details of what happened back in the mid-1800s. I'm I'm going to read just a little bit of it to you. I'm not going to try to read the whole thing, but I want you to listen. It was in the middle of the 19th century of the United States. There was spiritual, political, and economic low point in the United States. Many people had become disillusioned with spiritual things because of preachers who had repeatedly and falsely predicted the end of the world in the 1840s. And so agitation over the slavery issue had bred much political unrest, and the Civil War seemed imminent. A financial panic hit in 1857. Banks failed, railroads were bankrupt, factories closed, unemployment increased. And many Christians realized the need for prayer in such a dire situation, and prayer meetings began to spread around the country. In lower Manhattan section of New York, the church there is a Dutch Reformed church. They continually been losing members, so they hired a missionary to come in to reverse the trend with an active visitation program. They thought that would fix it. We're going to go visit, folks. However, he had little success. So in September of 1857, he rented a hall on Fulton Street in New York City and advertised its availability for prayer meetings. Six men assembled for that prayer meeting on September 23rd. Two days later, the Bank of Philadelphia failed. In October, the men began praying together daily. On October 10th, the stock market crashed. The financial panic triggered a religious awakening and people flocked to the prayer meetings. Within six months, 10,000 people were gathering daily for prayer in New York City alone. Other cities also were experiencing a renewed interest in prayer. In Chicago, the Metropolitan Theater was filled every day with 2,000 people assembling for prayer. In Louisville, several thousand came for prayer each morning. 2,000 assembled for daily prayer in Cleveland. The St. Louis churches were filled for months at a time. The YMCA, which had just been formed, began to hold prayer meetings as well. The newspapers, the New York newspapers, began to advertise what was happening. In fact, I think it was the the New York Tribune devoted, devoted an entire issue of their newspaper about what God was doing. The prayer meetings were organized in cities by lay people and were interdenominational. They didn't care what church you came from. And they didn't matter who the man was that was standing up in front of everybody. Unlike earlier prayer meetings, prayer, earlier awakenings, prayer rather than preaching was the main instrument of revival. Tents were set up often as places where people could gather for prayer. 
The meetings themselves were very informal. Any person might pray, exhort, lead in a song, or give a word of testimony with a five-minute limit placed on each speaker. So just imagine these meetings, are, are, they're continually going on and on and on, and each person's only up there for five minutes at a time. So see, it wasn't just a few people. God was moving among all of the people. But it began with six guys who got together and began to pray. And as they prayed, things got worse. And as they pray, and they prayed more, and things got even worse. But then revival broke out. Now listen to this last part. In spite of the less structured nature of prayer meetings, they lack the, they lack the extreme emotionalism which some had cr- criticized in earlier revivals. This was the first revival beginning in America with a worldwide impact. From the United States, the revival spread to Ireland, Scotland, Wales, England, Europe, South Africa, India, Australia, and the Pacific Islands. In geographical and proportionate numerical extent, the revival of 1857 to 1860 has not been equaled. We don't hear about that. But here's the thing. People cry out and they say, you know, we just had the Azusa Now meetings, which was wonderful. And I was able to catch a little bit of it while I was in India. And, I, and it's wonderful, and, I, and I, I love Lou Engle and what he's doing because he truly has a passion for God. He is a man who is desperate for God and desperate for God to do something in this nation. But the problem that I have is with people that they still are looking at the man, they're still looking at the event, they're still, they're still there for the party. That's the issue that I have with so many of these things. And I hear these prayers, and I understand because I pray these very similar prayers. Lord, do it again. What you did then, we want you to do it again. But I believe that God wants us to move to a place where he's not doing what he's already done. That he starts to move beyond where he's been before. We've got to get to where we were once before, and then God wants to take us even further. James 4.8, he says, if we'll draw near to him, he will draw near to us. When we're desperate, when our hearts truly cry out to him, we'll draw near to him, and he's promised that he will draw near to us. He's faithful to come. He is faithful. Hebrews eleven six 6 says he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We cannot seek him with all of our heart, with all that's within us, and not expect him to come. It is impossible. It's impossible. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, seek me. And you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. With all of your heart. You see, we've got to move away in America from this, from this, this church meeting mentality. Let's go there for an hour and let's, we, we check it off our list and we're good people. God should be so proud of us. We've got to get to that place where we are totally consumed by our passion for Him. Let me tell you how you have a great marriage. When you're totally consumed with the person that you're married to. That you can't wait to be with them the next time that you get to see them. Two weeks is a hard time for me to be away from my family. I love them so much and I can't wait to get back home to be with them. And that's, God models that for us in the scriptures. He, he, He parallels this with a relationship with him. That the marriage relationship, he parallels it so that we can see this is the passion that we should have for him. We should desire him in every moment of every day and every opportunity we have that we can spend with him. That should be our passion. That should be our drive. 
And, you know, and we could talk about all the, I mean, it's so many great revivals and moves of God that have happened. There's so many of them that we know about, the great awakening that took place in the 1700s with Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, the Cane Ridge Revival, Azusa Street, the Welsh Revival, the 1950 healing revivals that took place. Let's, let, let's, you know, we talk about unprecedented. Look, we get excited right now when, if, if we have a stadium event like what happened in California. Billy Graham was filling stadiums. He was filling stadiums a long time ago. So this is, this is not anything new. It's just something we haven't seen. The Toronto outpouring. The Brownsville revival. These are, these are modern moves of God that we've been able to experience. But here's the thing. If we're not careful, we make a monument of a movement. We make a monument of a movement and we focus our attention on a time in history rather than a God who is limitless and timeless. We make a monument of a movement and so people are so focused. Listen, I love studying revival, but not, so that, that it's not just so I can have all that knowledge and say, wow, that was amazing what God did. But I want to see what God did then so that I know what I can expect Him to do now and know that that's the beginning point of where He wants to take us. I don't believe that a move of God in its, in its nature is supposed to have a conclusion or a, lessening or a lessening of intensity, but rather to be continual and progressive. Every move of God, every revival, every awakening, whatever name you want to put on it, from its inception was intended to be the beginning of something that was perpetual. The beginning of something that God was doing. He doesn't want to just take us somewhere and then just stop. I'm done. So what happens? Why is it that we're not still living in what happened in the Great Awakening? Why is it that we're not living in what happened in Brownsville or Toronto and we're not seeing the full effects of the same things that God was doing then? Why? Because something that began with the Spirit of God, someone put their hand to it. And what began as a supernatural move of God, we've tried to sustain by human strength and abilities. That's the bottom line. We don't want it to stop, and so we've got to feel like we have to do something to help it keep going. But when it began, you didn't have to do anything to keep it going. They didn't have to advertise Brownsville. Brownsville was its own advertisement. There was a man that was a taxi driver in Pensacola. He went and picked up some ladies from the airport that were uh, dancers, we'll just say, from Atlanta. They were on vacation in Pensacola. And they said, take us to the most happening place in Pensacola. And so he drove them right up to Brownsville Assembly of God. And they said, we didn't ask you to take us to church. And he said, no, you didn't. You said, take us to the most happening place in Pensacola. I brought more people to this place than any other place in Pensacola since I've been driving a taxi. He said, I'll tell you what, you go in there, you stay for an hour. After an hour, you come back out, you don't want anything to do with it, I will be your personal driver the rest, time, the rest of the time you're in Pensacola and you won't owe me a dime. He never saw him again. <laughs> Listen, what begins by the supernatural does not have to be continued in human effort, 
We don't have to be the ones to sustain it. We have one responsibility, and that is to pursue him. The desperation must not cease outside of the desperate moments. The necessity, the recognition of the necessity of his presence and power must be maintained on a regular basis. Never in any of our lives should we get to the point, whether individually or as a church corporately, where we feel like we've arrived, that we've gotten to the place that where everything is just, everything is where it needs to be. Because the thing is, wherever God takes us, he, Jesus said these very simple words to every one of us. He says, follow me. Follow me means that we're going somewhere, there's going to be progression, and we're, he never said, okay, let's stop. He said, follow. He's going somewhere to do something. He's continually moving upon the earth, and he's looking for people that will follow wherever he leads. He declared in John chapter 15, verse 5, he said these words. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And when we act in the name of God, but, but we act void of his power and his presence, then we can be assured that we are doing nothing that will have any lasting value. And so if we want to see an unprecedented move of God in this time, then we've got to be willing to do those things that we've never done before. We've got to be willing to pursue Him in a way that we've never pursued Him before. With a passion like we've never had before. Something's got to stir on the inside of us that says, I must have more. I need to know Him more. To experience what has never been before, we must trust God to take us beyond that which is familiar and that which we've been, grown accustomed to. And see, that's where it gets scary. You see, and that's the reason why people get upset about revival. Brownsville had its criticism. Toronto had its criticism. Why? Because there were things happening there that people had never seen happen before. But I can even tell you this, that even the strangest things that happened at both of those places... They've happened throughout history. John Wesley wrote about the exact same things in meetings. But if we want to experience what we've never experienced before, we've got to be willing to move outside of what is comfortable and what we've grown accustomed to. Because if we're content with just what human reasoning can understand, then we must be equally content with a life that consists of only what our strength and abilities can accomplish. If, it all, if, if we're content with what makes sense, what our reasoning can comprehend and, and accept, then we've got to be willing to accept what only our strength can accomplish. But if we're willing to trust God, even in a way that violates our intellect, then we can see things happen in our lifetime. Beyond our intellect, beyond our comfort. There'll be nothing that's impossible. You see, the thing is, anybody can trace where Jesus has been. But it takes a true follower to go where he's going. And he's wanting to take us places that the world has not seen. He's preparing a bride. A bride is being prepared for his return. And I promise you that when he returns, he's wanting a bride that is ready for him. A bride that is passionate about him. That is longing to see him. 
And I have to question, as I've, I've continued to think over the years about, you know, someone like Enoch. I wonder what Enoch experienced. Because the Bible says that he walked with God and then he was no more. Because God took him. I heard Bill Johnson talk about that one time. I don't know if you've ever heard the story. He said, a little girl told him, said, oh, I can explain to you what happened. He said, Enoch was walking with God one day. And God said, well, you're closer to my house than you are yours, so why don't you just come home with me? <laughs> Makes sense? <laughs> Listen. And part of what I'm here to do tonight is just to stir you up, honestly, to encourage you. Don't give up the fight. Keep pressing in. There's still more. Don't ever be satisfied with where you are. Know that there's always more. No matter how much you've pursued Him, no matter how much you think you know, there's always more. You'll never get to the end of who God is. And you'll spend all of eternity in His presence, and you still won't get to the end of all that He is. But in this lifetime, be passionate. Don't get caught up in all the stuff going on around you. When you see unprecedented things happening in the world, let that be something that stirs you to realize if these things are happening in the natural, there's something that God is wanting to release in the supernatural that's far greater than the things that we're seeing with our eyes. Let it be a motivator rather than, than a deterrent. Let it be something that builds you up rather than builds you down. Let it be something that encourages you, that you can truly be of good cheer when you see problems coming, knowing that there is a greater one who dwells on the inside of you. There's one who wants to come to your rescue, and he wants to break through in every one of these circumstances. So let's jump back real quick to Joel. Joel chapter 2. We'll read the Lord's response to what was going on with Joel as Joel was talking about all the problems that they were having. Joel chapter 2, verse 12. says, Now therefore, says the Lord, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he'll turn and relent and leave a blessing behind, a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babies. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber, the bride from her dressing room. Let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach, that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say, say among the peoples where is their God in this hour that should never be a question that's uttered upon the lips of people in this nation we are a people to carry the presence of God to be so consumed with him that he is put on display everywhere we go never should it be said in this country where is their God the people of God have got to be passionate about him we need to be a, fa a fasting people, a mourning people, a weeping people, crying out to Him, drawing near to Him, bro broken about the things that are going on around us, but passionate to, put, put, to draw in close to Him so that we can see His hand move upon His nation. Let us be a desperate people. A desperate people. We must have Jesus. Nothing, nothing else will do. We must have Him. That we long to know Him better. 
to draw closer, to encounter him like never before. So here we find ourselves now in 2020, and in the midst of circumstances which we never imagined would come upon our nation or the world. But no matter what the problem may be, the solution remains the same. These are unprecedented times, and we are in need of an unprecedented revival, an unprecedented move of God upon the earth. And I believe that we are at the threshold of that opportunity. But revival doesn't necessarily start on a national stage. It starts with you and with me. Are you ready? Have you given yourself fully to Jesus? I must ask you, are you fearful? In the midst of all that's going on right now in our current circumstances, are you fearful? Are you worried about what's to come in the days ahead? I want you to know today that there is a place of peace in the midst of the storm. There is a place of provision when all of the sources around you seem to be drying up. There is a joy that remains even in the midst of great difficulties that cannot be shaken, that cannot be taken away. A joy that strengthens us for the days ahead. And all of it is found in a deep personal relationship with Jesus. Not church, not religion, but a relationship with Jesus. And so I encourage you to call on Him today, to cast all of your cares upon Him because He cares for you. He will take your burdens, your sin, your shame, your past, and lead you into a new life of freedom ahead with Him. Would you pray with me today? Just a simple heartfelt prayer, something like this. God, my Father, I turn to you and I place my trust in you today. All that I am and all that I have, I give to you. I turn from my past and I look to you. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and he rose from the dead so that I could live a new life, that I could be born again and have a relationship with my Father, with you, God, and live the life that I was created for. So I ask you to take my life my sin, my shame, my pains, my worries, my fears, and give to me this new life. Fill me with your Spirit. Help me to know you better and to follow after you all the days of my life. I declare today that I am yours, God, and that you are mine. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, or if God has stirred your heart to a greater devotion to Him through this message, we would love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us through our website at timbrandonministries.com or through our social media channels as well. And it's our prayer that God would continue to bless you and keep you in safety in His care. And we look forward to our next time together here.